In 2011, DC Comics rebooted their entire line right around the September monthly marking point. And with the New 52, as we discussed in our episode, oh my gosh, months and months ago when we discussed our postmortem for the New 52 right on the cusp of the DCU initiative, it was initially a commercial success that eventually turned into a commercial disaster and was never really a critical hit to begin with, with the exception of a few titles. In June of last year, DC Comics introduced the DCU initiative, which we talked about to some extent on that last episode. And it is a critical hit for the most part. A number of folks from a number of diverse backgrounds were especially heartened by DCU with its representation of various characters, characters like Midnighter, uh, representing uh, you know a portion of the LGBT population. Dr. Fate, an uh, Arab-American superhero. Books like Cyborg, even where it dealt with disability issues. DCU, again, being a critical hit, was unfortunately a, bo- a set of books that did not particularly perform well in the direct marketplace. And with that, DC unveiled its latest initiative in an attempt to regain market share from both Marvel and Image Comics, Rebirth, a term that many longtime DC fans will recognize. Uh, as it is the moniker shared by two Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver comics, Green Lantern Rebirth and Flash Rebirth. Uh, and now with Jeff Johns seemingly at the helm, they'll be rebooting their entire line once again, or at least relaunching to an extent with a number of different titles. Comics Pro, they discussed all the different titles that will be coming this June from DC Comics Rebirth. And we'll, of course, read those down here in just a moment. But this is the Geek Rex Podcast, and we're talking about DC and Rebirth. I'm joined by Shane. Hey. Cal. Hello. And Harper. Hey. And it's just the four amigos today as we talk about DC's latest uh, scheme at uh, relaunching their entire line, which on May 25th, we'll see the publication of DC Comics Rebirth Number 1, uh, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Ethan Van Skyver, um, Gary Frank, and Phil Jimenez. Now, following that, we'll see a number of Rebirth specials for each of their mainline AAA titles like Aquaman, Batman, The Flash, etc., which will then open its way to new titles for each of those characters in June. And then July, we'll see more number ones with a Rebirth in front of it. The big to-do about these, other than the fact that there were no creative teams announced, is that DC would be announced, had announced that each of these books would be a $2.99 price point, and they would ship twice monthly. So you'll be getting more of Batman if you really like Batman. Um, additionally, Action Comics and Detective Comics will regain their numbering, eschewing the New 52 renumbering that they had incurred in 2011, and instead will be heading towards their eventual 1,000s in a pretty quick amount of time if they happen to be shipping bi-monthly, though there is some question as to whether that's happening. Anyhow, guys, let's talk about Rebirth. And with that out of the way, so people who may have no idea what it is uh, had at least some clue about it, I'm curious what y'all think about it. And let me start with Shane. What are your thoughts about DC Rebirth, sir? 
the new 52 is the main reason I got into the DC universe at large. I mean, I, I, like most people who grew up in the 90s, I, I had an awareness of certain things, particularly Batman. Um, and like I knew who Superman and Wonder Woman were and I knew who the Flash was, but I didn't really know. I never watched the Justice League cartoon, so I probably would have known more characters if I watched that as a kid. But um, the new 52 was when I really started reading comics that weren't Batman related. And when I say Batman, I'm more meant that I'd read like Dark Knight Returns and Long Halloween and things like that. So it's a little frustrating. I mean, Marvel keeps renumbering and restarting and rebooting and things like that all the time. So it really shouldn't frustrate as much as it does uh, with DC. But I guess it, I just felt like it's kind of like, well, I was just getting to know you and now I have to let you either get to a place that you were when I didn't read you or get to a place where I don't really care because you're just starting fresh, which it seems to be a mix of the two. So I'm not really sure how I'm going to react until I see more of creative teams and things like that. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the 299 thing because I'll believe that uh, when I see it and I'll believe that it'll last when it, when I see it because the new 52 started with plenty of 299 titles and now we have zero 299 titles. But but you forget, Shane, it's not a reboot and it never was. Right. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, for, for those of you who don't know, that was the um, questionable tagline of uh, Rebirth and a lot of their marketing materials. Um... Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the characters are going away, or at least this version of characters. Like, I have a hard time imagining them backpedaling so heavily on the last couple of years. Like, right. not to say that they shouldn't uh, necessarily. Like, there are some things that were probably mistakes. Uh, mistakes were made, but yeah, I, I, I would be genuinely shocked if this was a real uh, reboot. Well, I, I imagine the overall look of everything is going to stay the same because that look of the New 52 is so much influencing their animated output, their TV output, and their movie That's output true. now. That's true. That's true. Well, although after after DCU, um, the, the look of the line became much more scattered and I think, uh, honestly, a lot more attractive. Um, so, yeah... It, there are a lot of things that I think won't change. Uh, there are some things that um, I think will that I that I very much hope will change. And not going back to that uh, house style uh, that dominated so much of like the uh, new Fifty Two after year one or so is one of the things that I badly hope does not change. <laughs> so I just want to throw this out there and get it out of the way. Um, just how many copies of DC Rebirth number one are you each planning on buying? <laughs> how many variant covers will there be, Harper? <laughs> well, I hope there's one for every state at least. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we all know that was like a huge success. I, I, I did. I did. I totally bought the one with Georgia flag on the cover, which is I, I bought the Alabama one. Yeah, I, I, I figured as much, I, Shane. I did not purchase that book. <laughs> and poor, <laughs> poor comic book shops are stuck with like. New Hampshire copies of, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's partially due to, I'm, I'm at a place right now where I've got just major superhero fatigue. I'm buying, I think one DC proper book at this point and maybe two Marvel books. Nearly all of my, the stuff I'm currently reading ongoing is, is independent or, or image or non-superhero in, in the, 
you know, in general. So I, in, in a lot of ways, I'm just not that interested on a personal level. But I think this is kind of such a weird announcement because they throw it out there. And without any of the creative teams, I have nothing to latch on to at this point. Like, you know, obviously there's a rum- a rumors about a lot of them. And, I, you know, to some extent, I'm I'm interested in Snyder returning to Detective. His, his run on Detective was easily my favorite thing he's ever done. But, you know, in general, just not knowing who's going to be on these books, I can't really get excited about it. And it's not like they're titles that are, like, really sticking out at, at me and, and seeming like kind of interesting stuff, like, you know, maybe some of the stuff at the beginning of the New 52 or um, or DCU. I mean, you know, there were a handful of things that were a little bit of a surprise, like an Animal Man book, for example. There's really nothing in this lineup that jumps out at me as something I'm, like, super excited about. So, you know, I'm kind of waiting until we hear who some of the creators are before I really make a decision on, you know, what I think about it. I just really hope this, like, has more forethought than it seems. Like, I'm kind of like you, Harper, talking about, like, not knowing the creative teams when they're already announcing the titles seems a little suspicious because i mean even marvel when secret wars was getting ready to reboot their universe which that was a whole fuck up anyway with releasing that and starting that new universe that we at least knew creative teams for pretty much everything that's come out you knew the teams um, before you knew well what in the advance. book was in a, in a lot right of <laughs> and yeah and um i completely forgot where i was going with that point so just continue and maybe i'll it'll come back to me uh, you know, I, I found myself over the past <laughs> somehow in the past ten years, I, I've I've morphed from somebody whose interests sort of lie in the creator own the writer driven realm into sort of the default comics guy. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened, but I saw that lineup of these new books and I instantly thought, well, this excites me. I like, I like all the main superheroes. I'm, I, I can't wait to see what they do. And that was my first thought before even, even thinking about the creative teams or thinking about like, you know, how big a clusterfuck the new 52 was after about six issues. I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I like Superman. I like the flash. I like Aquaman, right. wonder woman. So uh, a focus on those characters kind of excites the kid in me, I guess. I, I don't know. And I guess that's the thing that they're 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 they want to, they want to take advantage of is like the 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 memories of, you know, guys my age, I guess, and older, which is sort of the default local comic shop guy. But, you know, the, creative team-wise, there are some interesting rumors that at least make me a little more excited about this. I mean, the problem with the New 52 was this, right? You had a couple of really, really strong debuting books. You had Scott Snyder on Batman. You had Grant Morrison on Action Comics. You had Ryan Azzarello and Cliff Chang on Wonder Woman, which, you know, regardless of your thoughts on that book, that is a, still a strong creative team. You had Gail Simone on Batgirl. You had J.H. Williams and, and Hayden Blackman on, on Batwoman. Francis Manipul on The Flash, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But outside of that, <laughs> you know, you had a lot of Fabian Nichiza and you had you had uh, Howard Mackey <laughs> and, uh, you know, these sort of 90s washouts that were taking over a number of different books. I mean, who who wants to read a Ron Mars book anymore? Well, you would have if you were really into the new 52 because he was writing voodoo, you know, I mean, it's there. there these he had a real bench problem, I think. And so. DCU, while it was not, you know, a sales smash, I, I feel like it at least helped DC a little bit in that it helped replenish their talent pool, provided that they use them for this initiative. 
you know, so what, what, are, what are the rumored books here? I mean, in June, you have Aquaman, Batman, The Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, and Wonder Woman. Batman is rumored to be written by Tom King. Superman's rumored to be written by Peter Tomasi. Uh, Wonder Woman is written to be written by Marguerite Bennett. Uh, Detective <sighs> Comics, the relaunch, is, is supposed to be written by Scott Snyder. So, you know, that there is uh, an interesting-ish lineup, at least in terms of maybe getting these characters to a place where the readers like me <laughs> will kind of find their way back to DC. It's also likely when you look at the July books that Batgirl will probably retain its creative team. I imagine that Cameron Stewart, Brendan Fletcher and Babs Tarr aren't going anywhere. It's the one DCU, even though it's not really a DCU book. It's the one DCU ins- book that inspired the entire line that will probably stick around. And the same can be said for when the fall release schedule happens for the later lineup of books, Gotham Academy is probably going to be Brendan Fletcher led again. So at the very least, two DCU books of that style will be sticking around. I don't know what that what that says necessarily for the rest, though. But I'm excited about the idea of Tom King, who's now DC exclusive writing Batman. That is a really promising thing to me. As someone who likes Batman, who likes Tom King, that's a match made in heaven. But again, I have no idea who the artists are. I don't know what styles we'll be looking at. But it's worth noting that every one of these first issues in June are all books. All of them are books that are focused on either CW television show leads or characters that will be showing up in Batman versus Superman and the subsequent Justice League movie. Uh, and they don't expand the line until July when you see stuff like the Hellblazer and Nightwing and Red Hood and the Outlaws and whatever the Superman is. Yeah, creative teams are something that obviously matter a lot to me. I also kind of feel like, uh, and I think I made this argument way back in the New 52 episode or earlier, that DC and Marvel really want the age of like the superstar creators to be over. You know, they, they want this to be the, the new media driven, highly controlled, uh, environment. And I'm a little concerned that that's the direction that they're going, given that they announced a whole slate. It's all based at first on their uh, multimedia properties. And they did not announce any creative teams. You know, some leaked, as you said, uh, Kyle, or at least some writers leaked, but not even artists. And then there's the whole double shipping question. I think double shipping is just a bad idea. Like, there are some books that it can work for, but for the most part, I think double shipping is something that breaks up creative teams, that makes it hard to maintain a certain quality of work, uh, and that makes it hard for me to stick with a book. You know, if I'm looking at a double shipping book, then that's two other books that it's replaced. You know, like... If I want to read Tom King's Batman and my budget is limited, then that's not one book that I'm making way for. It's two books. And, I mean, I do want to read Tom King's Batman, but then I start to wonder, I'm like, okay, well, if he isn't building a rapport with an artist, you know, I mean, that's the work's going to suffer a little bit there. And, I mean, Tom King is fantastic so far. He's been immensely, immensely talented, but that's a lot of words you're putting on the page there. Like, I feel like burnout is going to be higher. I feel like uh, replacements. And to me, that's the sort of thing that killed the New 52, was, you know, going through four creative teams in two years or more. It just just feels like uh, 
another another push to try and to try real hard to make this the age of the editor and uh, I'm just not that interested in the age of the editor so like exclusive contracts with Sam Humphreys and to Tomasi on Superman like I I like Tomasi but like that's not that, that that's that's a choice you make because you you want a pretty standard Superman book like an enjoyable one but a you know one that's not really going to push any boundaries to come out twice a month and that that just that just burns me out a little bit but Prez is coming out. so is that confirmed yeah, still confirmed it on Twitter. Prez is coming back, so you know I I can't be too upset with DC. <laughs> they yeah, he confirmed it. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a couple weeks ago. Even Dan DiDio had stated they wanted to re-release it right around the time of the presidential election. So uh, yeah, Volume Two of Prez is happening. Um, you know uh, the double shipping question is interesting to me. Like I, so I get it a little bit, right? If you look at DC sales charts. You'll see the books that sell well, and there's not that many of them, but uh, <laughs> books like Batman, Justice, both Justice League books, Harley Quinn, and to some extent, even though they're not selling that well, the, the Superman books, those books sell well enough to at least support a line, right? So if you double down on those books, the chances are – those most of those customers will stick around. If you really like Batman, you're going to read Batman. Uh, and I'm only thinking about this from the business side, not the creative side. The creative side is a whole other question. But if you bring it down to 2.99, you're looking at what 5.98 for two books. So that's 5.98 for about 44 pages of book, which is not a bad deal considering most 48 page comics are what 7.99. Okay, so that that that's a fairly sustainable thing that that seems to me make more sense in a way than trying to push as much as I love that Midnighter book that Steve Orlando did and I loved it. It, is, it was tremendous. Nobody was buying it. I mean, it was it sold ten thousand copies last month, uh, and Omega Men, an even better book, sold eight. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, eight thousand or eight <laughs> eight thousand, which is like that's that's sub image. Right there, that's 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 like a high-selling Valiant book, which is not what DC should be pressing for. I mean, there's just some properties in like the the big two Milu that just have never sold and won't sell. But and and that's just kind of how the big two reader seems to work. They'll read. It's comfort food, you know. It's not. It's never. It's never like uh, cerebral stuff. Sometimes it can be. But typically, the big, the normal big two reader, the you know, like the the right, the reader I'm talking about, that I guess DC's trying to court, they want the stuff that you know is status quo. Superman's got red long, your long johns on. Wonder Woman, uh, you know, has her lasso of truth, and uh, Batman has one Robin. You know what I mean? That's what uh, that's what these guys seem to want. And, you know, at this point, DC's in this weird spot where they've lost the not only the confidence of a lot of customers, but they've also lost the confidence of retailers, which is a really sad thing to say because it seems like retailers have a ch- chokehold on the industry. But holy cow, man, you should have seen some of the reactions pre-Comics Pro from some of the retailers that were tweeting out their various thoughts about DC Comics and what DC Comics should be doing. Even now, there's still a lot of skepticism. Um, but those are the guys that and women who order these books in the first place. All the sales data you see on Diamond, it's all retailer-based. So you know, DC had to do a lot of backflips to even win those people over, and I'm not sure it's happened yet. 
the way I see it, I feel like Rebirth is like a two-front kind of thing. On the one side, you have like DC really wanting corporate synergy with, like we talked about, the first wave of books are all related to some kind of movie coming out. And then there are several that are in the next few waves that are also related in at least some way to a movie that's coming out. And then the other front I see is I feel like it's almost, and it might be, and like this, the lack of creative team info helps give credence to this, I feel. It's a knee-jerk reaction to the fact that the only book they had sell in the top ten last month was Batman. And uh, the fact that they didn't have a single trade paperback or graphic novel sell in the past month. And Marvel's dominating everything. Like, Marvel couldn't even... Marvel didn't even have to put out a superhero book. As long as they just put out four Star Wars books a month, they'd do better than DC most months. And so I I feel like it's a knee-jerk reaction to say, well, number ones are going to sell, so maybe we can outsell Marvel, but that's only for a month. And then double shipping, so Batman number one will probably be on the top ten. Batman number two will probably be on the top ten. But then once we get to, like, Batman number eight, like, how consistently is it going to be both issues from a given month show up in the top 10 bestsellers. Yeah. It's a weird thing to me because I think like when you kind of walk through the, the kind of history of the last couple of years of DC at the, at the beginning of the show, it's funny to me because it seems like the new 52 and DCU were both aimed at trying to bring together, bring in new readers in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously the new 52 is all about that and DCU is trying to bring in, you know, a different crowd. It seems like, but this is like the total opposite of that. It's like those two didn't work. So instead let's go full stop in the other direction and let's go with this whole, like, you know, quote unquote legacy thing where they're pushing for, you know, bringing back the, the, you know, the history that, that people care about. And it's like, you're bringing back this like complex history combined somehow with the new 52, assumedly. Plus uh, you're going to be shipping books twice a month. Uh, You know, how could any new reader possibly be interested in this? No, nobody who has never read comics before is going to start buying a Batman book, even a Batman book, even the best selling, almost certainly the best selling book of the line. Nobody's going to buy that twice a month. Who's never bought comics before. Like, that's just such a weird thing to me. Um, Uh I, I like, like, I think you put it really well, Kyle, when you said it's more for the, like, casual comic reader who sees it more as, like, casual dining and things like that, because I think they feel like if it's something that's going to be more than that, then that's, that's the place of an original graphic novel. Like, that's, that's where that needs to go. And if you look at what sells from DC, it is the original graphic novels and not their comics. So, I mean, I guess it does work for them in some ways. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing, too, is kind of, what you brought up, uh, Cal, about um, kind of the age of the editor. I mean, it's it's hard, really hard to tell because, I mean, it, it's funny to me that we're even talking about this knowing literally nothing about the titles of the books. Um, you know, so we don't really know what these books are going to be like, but given this whole, like, push for legacy and, and, you know, bringing back this history and whatever, I feel like they're going to be pushing even harder towards this, like, very controlled shared universe thing where nothing can really you know, split off from that, which is really a shame because I think the only stuff that's been really interesting to me at DC over the last, I don't know, two years has been the stuff that's kind of explored out of continuity or, um, you know, stuff that's not, not so central to like whatever's happening in Justice League. And it's a shame because they've actually kind of started to improve a little bit on that front, I think. I mean, some of the, even, even you know, 
big books, although it's shipping super slowly. Brian Hitch's Justice League book is fantastic, I think, particularly compared to the other, uh, you know, the main Justice League books that I could not possibly care less about. Um, you know, this the stuff that's not so continuity heavy is is can be great, and I feel like they're doubling down and moving back in the direction of this whole like shared shared universe, like forced shared universe, not like natural kind of shared universe, um, which is really a, a problem at Marvel too, but. And the thing is, is I feel like DC makes this promise every three to five years. Yep. Like sales start to slip and they're like, oh, the most iconic versions of our characters are coming. No one gives a shit about Hal Jordan. No one. Hal Jordan is such a block of wood that there are like, you know, like 40,000 diehard, lifelong Green Lantern, Hal Jordan fans. And that's it. And once they die, you no longer have a line. The return to iconic characters and the push to recapture the old market is something that DC in particular seems to be obsessed with. I think because Jeff Johns is such an old-fashioned comics fan. And uh, Didio, and I mean, a lot of the Jim Lee, you know, like these are these are old-school comics guys. And... I think that shows in the fact that their solution to literally every problem they have is uh, return to iconic characters, bring back the classic, you know, the core readership. And the core readership comes back for a few months, but I think a lot of the core readership realizes pretty quickly why they stopped being the core readership. Like a lot of the people who got out, didn't get out because the characters weren't I iconic enough for them. They got out because they bought a house or they got a new job or they, you know, got a different hobby. They started playing magic, you know, whatever the, whatever the reason is, they got expenses and they got something else to do. And as you say, Harper, trying to tempt that person back by saying like, oh yeah, come back to the comic shop every two weeks for a new Batman book is, uh, well, every two weeks for the new Batman book and then also for Detective Comics and then also for, you know, the nine other um, Batman books that are going to be coming out is just, I legitimately don't believe that that's feasible. I, I, I do think that it's telling that Marvel and Image, who Marvel is, you know, doing much better with uh, and still allowing that kind of uh, experimentation on mm -hmm. the outskirts. And Image is, you know, letting their creators run wild. And that's how these companies are succeeding, because I, I, I genuinely think that that's that's where the future lies. And to be honest, that's how it's always been. You know, creativity happens on the outskirts. Invention happens on the outskirts. You know, it may not sell well, but it draws attention to the line. It draws critical attention. It draws outside reader attention. And more importantly, it helps break new talent. You know, like you aren't going to, you aren't going to discover the next great writer or the next great artist on Batman, right? Because you're not getting that if you have no publishing credits. You're discovering them when they're experimenting on the Immortal Iron Fist and Hawkeye or you know, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl or whatever it is that they're doing. That's how, that's how growth happens in the industry is the outskirts slowly push in until, there's, until there are new outskirts out there. But, you know, the problem Marvel's running into right now is that they encouraged such a 
such an environment that was so focused on creator loyalty, okay? You should really be into Matt Fraction comics. You should really be into Alish Cott comics. You should really be into Kelly Sue DeConnick comics. So when they leave and go to Image, where the real money is to, you know, because Image loves to accept thirsty-ass TV pitches, what what happens to those characters? Well, you end up with Jeff Lemire on Hawkeye, which is a book that doesn't sell as well. You end up with, you know, Tara Butters and Michelle Fazakis on Captain Marvel, a book that will, now that it's relaunched, is doing okay, but will it continue its sales? I have no idea. And then what happens when Ryan North finally moves on from Squirrel Girl? I mean, will people stick around with Squirrel Girl? Not necessarily. So the, the question I then have is, you know, if you do you do you try to break new talent and hope that they will in turn be able to encourage that same loyalty or do you attempt to incur loyalty through brand and that's not something i like um i'm not trying to say that that's that's something that i appreciate not really but i do remember a time when i was about i don't know uh like 10 or 11 or 12 and i was buying superman comics like every week Every week. And it was one of the only comics that I bought, uh, along with like Batman occasionally. I had no idea who the writers were. I barely knew who the artists were, but I at least had some idea who they were based on like visual cues. And I think that's the sort of reader that they're trying to get back. They, of course, need to have better newsstand uh, standing and they need to have better distribution than just Diamond. But uh, I think. The only sustainable business practice that you can really incur when you deal with intellectual property owned by a major conglomerate is loyalty to the brand, not loyalty to creators. And I like experimentation on the outskirts. I think I think that's a great way to develop a guy like Tom King on The Vision and Steve Orlando on Midnighter. Uh, but – <laughs> you know, they've got to also like sort of secure their house too. And right now DC is in the dumps and even Marvel right now, their sales are down. I mean, outside of star Wars, many of their all new, all different Marvel books. No, people aren't buying because yeah. they're not excited about Jeff Lemire on X-Men. I hate to pick on Jeff Lemire, but he's kind of been the whipping boy lately. Um, so I, I just, just so many Marvel books. What's that? He's just on so many Marvel books. I know, I know. Well, he's because Marvel's lineup right now looks a lot like the New Fifty Two lineup mm-hmm. from twenty eleven in a way. And they have guys like Nathan Edmondson, Lemire. Uh, you know, they have. I mean, there, it, 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 there's just this constant sort of this recycling of talent, right? And if they didn't go to Image, they stuck with the big two. And it, I, I don't know. The, both companies are are, are in trouble. Um, so I guess I understand why DC's trying to do it, but I, I don't really know if because of double shipping whether it will work or not. I have no idea. I can't imagine Deathstroke twice a month is going to be a seller. Mm. Yeah, that, that that's out in about three months. Like that that's not lasting to issue ten. I suspect I, it's um, mind-boggling that they keep trying that. <laughs> Deathstroke is a shit character, but I mean the way that they pushed him. Blows my mind. <laughs> I don't even. So, so we're we're gonna like paraphrase Mean Girls then and be like, stop trying to make Deathstroke happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. But Kyle, I mean, I, I totally see your point, and I actually agree with you. You know, I mean, uh, ideally, you you want to you want to cultivate both audiences, right? You want to 
have the people who buy Batman keep buying Batman. Like, that's definitely what your plan is. But, like, you can't have your whole line be like that. Like, looking at... um Looking at the uh, the lines, like, I agree. Like, I love Superman. You know, when I was young and I would have read Superman, I didn't give a shit who wrote it or who, who drew it. But then looking at this, you know, you've got Superman, the Superman, Supergirl, <laughs> Super Sons, and Superwoman. I don't give a shit about five of those. And so for that, like, they're hoping that brand loyalty will encourage someone to buy a whole line – and I don't know how feasible that is, especially with double shipping uh, introduced into the mix. I, I think you have to let people experiment on the outskirts because that that's how you discover talent like Tom King. But that's also how you get surprise hits. Like Vision is holding steady in the mid-30,000s, which is incredible for a character like the Vision. You can thank the movie for that. I don't think you can. Because Hawkeye's fall, I mean, everything's falling, uh, except the vision. I think you can thank, um. Well, I, I should say, you can thank the movie for it, like, getting to that point. Like, it staying that point is more a credit to its quality, but I, I think the fact that there was enough interest is due to the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, like, Kyle, I didn't mean, you know, they should run DC like Image as much as I think I would love that. Uh, that <laughs> clearly bankrupt them. Sure. Uh, yeah. But I, 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 looking at the rebirth lineup, like it looks, you know, and again, we we can't know how this is going to shake out, but it looks very, very conservative right. in a way that I think will cause them a lot of problems within about a year. Oh, I give it six months with double shipping. So, yeah, six months instead of a year. Oh, that that won't last. Yeah, that, I, I'd say a, a year would be a miracle if the double shipping stuff lasted. But, no, I mean, I think it, you bring up interesting problem, this whole thing of, you know, kind of brand versus creator. But, you know, honestly, I don't know that it's that hard to do both. I mean, you're talking about, you know, there, there are people who are going to follow Batman no matter who's on it. Like you say, I think there's a lot of people who are going to do that. There's also a lot of people who are going to follow Snyder to whatever he does. I mean, he's he's probably the only remaining example from the New 52 or from from you know recent times of somebody who they they put a big big name on a big book, and you know they kind of hit both targets with that. And then and then you know obviously if it goes well and they're able to keep that person all the better. If they're not, then you know they still hang on to all those people who are just going to read Batman because it's Batman. But I mean, I, to me, I think. Best case scenario, maybe not that hard to do by putting good people on the books that are going to do well regardless. And then you've got great books that are going to sell to both audiences. That's been my hope. I mean, you know, I know for a fact that Steve Orlando is going to be put on another book. Uh, Jeff Johns has already reassured readers on Twitter. Steve Orlando will have a book in Rebirth. Um, and I know that there are a couple of other young, interesting creators. I'm certain Rob Williams, who we'll talk about in a minute here uh, in our next segment, will probably be on another book as well. So that's that's good. That's promising, right? And I think it's if you can't have diversity of character, at least start out with diversity of storytelling styles to some extent, even if you've got to have 
some sort of universal house style, which I hope they don't. But, um, you know, I was struck by a difference in Dan DiDio's speaking recently. Back in June, right before DCU launched, Dan DiDio stressed how continuity didn't matter as much to DC. And we wanted to get away from strict continuity and we wanted to embrace uh, the diverse audience that wants to read comics. Now, I just saw a video on Comic Vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they interviewed Dan DiDio for like a minute and he said, we want to get back to our core continuity and have a really strong <laughs> universe. And it, it was literally backtracking back to his like new 52 mindset, you know, new 52 based on every account that I've seen was a Dan DiDio led initiative. DC rebirth seems to be a Jeff Johns led initiative. I don't know, you know, how true that is, how much of that's just PR bluster, but he does seem to be very active in promoting it. He does seem to be sort of the cheerleader of the whole thing. And he does seem to be sort of the architect uh, with sort of a writer's room style. I don't know if that will work better, but man, I sure hope so. Because uh, I would really love to love a lot of these characters again as a long, long time DC reader. Um, well, we'll see what happens. We will get at least Action Comics 1000 probably really soon, but I haven't counted how quickly that will be. <laughs> I have an interesting question that's kind of off topic. What book do you think Steve Orlando would be good on? Suicide I'm kind of thinking, I was thinking either that or The Flash. Sure, The Flash would be great. I would love to see him on The Flash. That would be tremendous. I was just going to say, watch them put him on, like, Red Hood and the Outlaws. <laughs> that would be a great Red Hood and the Outlaws book. <laughs> yeah, why the hell is Red Hood and the Outlaws still a thing? The biggest success of the new 52. Uh, I, guess it, I guess it's going along with that rumor that uh, Red Hood's going to be the focus of the solo Batman movie. I don't know. Um, I, 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 I can guarantee you that, that is, there's probably movie considerations for Red Hood. That book has been like a surprisingly not bad seller for DC up That's until weird. recently. You know, people get a little tired of Scott Lobdell because he's been, been the key writer for that thing. But yeah, they, they have pressed Red Hood and the Outlaws for a long time to be, it's, it's, um, be sort of a new a new franchise for them. And I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I'm surprised that. I'm actually surprised that they're going with the Hellblazer moniker for Constantine, by the way. That seems like an odd choice because I think most Constantine fans associate him with the name Constantine, not the Hellblazer. But it seems like they've they've sort of shifted away. They had Hellblazer the book. Then they had Constantine the book. Then they had Constantine the Hellblazer. Now they'll have the Hellblazer. <laughs> so I, I, that's, that's a weird choice that I, I'm not sure I quite understand. I, I but. think it's to, to keep the trade paperback straight, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it goes back to um, – I think it just goes back to the idea that if they're pushing for that, for the core audience to come back, um, you know, that's 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 the name they know them by. I, I think if you uh, want me interested in a DC paranormal book, you bring back Creature Commandos. <laughs> Shane, that is the deepest cut ever, and that book would sell five copies. Hey, I am all over that fucking uh, Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D. book at Marvel, and I bet that book's, like, on the chopping block any day now. (laughs) (laughs) Most assuredly. Well, I'm going to be very interested, especially in what they do with Flash and Green Arrow. I mean, there's no doubt to me that, um, you know, Batman's going to have a solid creative team. Superman will have a steady hand. Wonder Woman should hopefully, God, by the anniversary uh, have a good creative team, but those CW shows, man, those those two books, 
never quite took off except in one spot during the New 52. And DC never really took advantage of that. I'm really interested to see what happens there. I would be delighted to see some of their brighter creators take over one of those books and turn them into sort of the superstar books that I think there's an audience there for them, especially with the success of both of those shows. So you mentioned some of their brighter young creators taking over. So we talked about Tom King and Steve Orlando, who uh, I think we're both pretty. I don't know. Did Harper and Shane? Did you guys read Midnighter at all? No. I oh, I'm still reading it. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think most of us like Steve Orlando and um, you know Tom King. Obviously, I think just one Creator of the Year from uh, in our Rexies, a podcast. Ooh. I'll check out. <laughs> Who else? Like, who do we want to see? Like, what? You know, you t- we talk about their their bright young creators. Um, I don't know. Who are you guys excited for? Who do you want to get a book that you could feasibly see working? You know, an up and comer you could see working with DC. Do you think Gene Yang is going to stay? No, no, no way. No, who? Gene Yang. That's too bad. I, I think I think Gene has bigger fish to fry. To be yeah. honest with you, and I think once once you get bumped off Superman for Peter Tomasi. What, I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, I, I, I feel like there's no other book they could put Gene on that wouldn't feel like a step down. Yeah, they maybe shouldn't have started him on something so giant. I mean, it, that was a run that I think was really hampered by editorial anyway. I don't yeah. want to get on a tangent about the Gene Yang Superman run, but it was um, – I, I was – I was kind of sad the way they treated Gene. Yeah, uh, and it went straight into a crossover. I don't want to get into it, but um, um, you know what? I'd like to see Ming Doyle uh, mm-hmm. do some more work. I kind of like her work on Constantine. Um, I don't know how much of that is her and how much of that is James James Tynion, but I expect James Tynion will be doing a lot. Not that I really Ugh. care. Um, <laughs> and please, please don't bring. If we're bringing in new French people, please don't bring anybody else from Scott Snyder's creative writing class. <laughs> well, you know, Matthew Rosenberg, who does that book, uh, We Can Never Go Home Again, uh, he's about to head over to D.C. apparently from that creative writing class, uh, the D.C. Uh, farm class that they've created uh, that also includes guys like Michael Morici and a few others uh, who have image books and some boom books. So I don't know. Let's see. Brendan Fletcher seems like a pretty promising guy, right? He's had the only two hits of the DCU era and, I mean, put him on a Flash book. I- I'll say this. His Wednesday Comics Flash story is the best Flash story I've ever read. I didn't know that was him. Yeah, it's Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kershaw. No kidding. I forgot that. Yeah, that yep. was a long time ago. Yep, yep. And he hadn't been doing a D- any DC work up until Gotham Academy and Batgirl were announced. So, you know, I expect he'll probably... I mean, it's it's funny to me. Gotham Academy didn't sell that well in the Diamond Charts, but I guess it did well enough uh, in the collected market to, in turn, uh, give another volume for Gotham Academy. And the same goes for Batgirl. So I I feel like DC will probably reward that guy with another solo book since Black Canary is going tits up. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another promising creator. I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Not from DC, no. <laughs> Just um, up and comers, you know, Image, Vertigo, Boom, even oh, okay. didn't sign an exclusive. Like, who who's young and that you want to see get a shot? Let Josh Williamson do uh, Constantine. I'll read it that way. He, he does good with horror. Nailbiter is one of my favorite books I'm reading right now. Yeah, 
Nailbiter, Nailbiter kind of, like, I ended up dropping it just because of the eternal, like, like, oh, we're going to give you an answer. This, this. Yeah, that, it's, that's getting old. But overall, like, it, it's, it's fun. It, it's fun to read. And he, he has a good taste for horror, I feel like. Um, I, I, I mean, he's not young, but I can tell you Brian Hitch is going to be writing more books. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, I mean, he's there. I think DC realized that they've got, you know, a surprising, uh, writer on their hands. So they probably are going to give him a few more books. I remember I even saw him tweeting about how he had written a few more things that he himself is not drawing. So I see that happening. Um, I'd be interested in reading another Rob Williams book. Uh, his Martian Manhunter is okay. Um, it has a couple of cool ideas. I like to see him on something that doesn't have Eddie Barrows on art. Yeah, um, that's, that's what drove me away from Martian Manhunter, to be honest. I wish Sonny Lou would write his own. Yes, book. that'd be great. Or at least draw something. Yeah, something big. Like I, I, it seems like an obvious connection, but I was thinking Justice Society, Justice Society, since that's a nice transition from Doctor Fate. Yeah, yeah I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be that's that's a good pick. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, to, to pull another from Nailbiter, I think the artist on Nailbiter, Mike Henderson, needs a book of his own badly uh, at one of the big two. And with DC, I'd love to see him like on Flash or Green Arrow or something. Uh, it'd be great to have Noel Stevenson. Yeah, that's that's true. That's someone who um, I'm shocked Marvel has. You know, Marvel snapped up a lot of that kind of. Uh, mm branch of talent and uh yeah but noelle i don't know if she just doesn't have interest or what but yeah yeah and, and you know the other person too that, that one of the four people that are rumored um i think marguerite bennett is kind of starting to get her legs she's got a lot of interesting mm-hmm. stuff going on um i, I think in, actually in your reviews cal for uh insects and, and red sun you hit it right on the head that she's she's kind of trying to cram too much in in most cases but i think she's got a lot of interesting ideas and she's I, you know I, I could see her in a in a year or two being somebody bigger that we you know that we'd be talking about i hope yeah positively yeah. for once <laughs> yeah and I, I you know i mean i've been i've been harping on her for some time i think genevieve valentine deserves a little uh, deserves another shot after her uh Catwoman run was done so wrong. Sure. But I think the other one, I have no idea what he's been doing, but he wrote one of my favorite recent Marvel books, and then I've seen nothing from him, and that's Cy Spurrier. Is Hmm. Cy Spurrier doing anything? Yeah, he's got an image book, I think, that just came out. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's not Cry Havoc, is it? I think it is. There is one called that. Yeah, um... You know, Spurrier did X-Men Legacy, which is turn, turning into a bizarrely uh, prestige drama on FX. Um, but, I mean, X-Men Legacy was a really uh, interesting, adventurous, just really fun book. It was probably my favorite X-Men book in the last, you know, five years pretty handily. And uh, so I wouldn't mind seeing seeing him and Genevieve Valentine uh, um jump on a book instead of, you know, him having one image book and her having, like, I think she just has one dynamite book at this point. I want Sean Murphy as the detective comics artist with Snyder. Yeah. That's, that's happening. Really? That's yeah. the rumor. Yeah. Wow. That would be pretty kick-ass. At least, well, I'm, at least for I want Manipole on something, too, but I don't think Manipole can do a bi-weekly book, so 
put him on Action Comics or something. Well, Manipul's going to be pretty pretty busy. He's um, he's working on that Aquaman Earth One graphic. Oh uh, yeah, right so, man drawing it. So yeah, he's going to be pretty pretty wiped. I think. Um, I, if you want an early preview of what one of these. Um, Rebirth books is going to look like. My bet is that Nightwing is going to be taken over by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who are writing Grayson after Tom King and Tim Seeley leave. And I'm also willing to bet that Tim Seeley is going to be and Juan Ferreri are going to be the ongoing team on Suicide Squad when it relaunches, and they're writing Suicide Squad right now, so or writing and drawing. So I'm guessing that those two books will carry over. Those are like two fairly young creative teams that it would be odd for me to see them just do a couple issues and then bounce off immediately. Uh, I'm going to expect a lot of that with this double shipping though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting talent out there. I, I, you know, I, I think DC has at least replenished their bench enough that we could at least see some, some, some nice pairings, but you talk about action comics, Shane, that there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to be a Jeff Johns book. That he will Who do you think takes over Justice League, then? I'm going to bet Snyder and Capullo. Really? Over Justice League? You think so? Yeah, that's going to be that, – that's been my bet for about a month. But isn't Justice League going to be one of the bi-weekly ones? Yeah. Yeah. No way. We'll, we'll see, see how long <laughs> We'll see what happens. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I could be shocked and surprised. I'm sure Hitch is not going anywhere on JLA. So, anyhow, I guess we'll, we'll check back on this on uh, March 26th. When uh, they actually announce creative teams, so can we can we put a thumbtack in this one and then come yeah. back and like see, sort of see how our guesses and hopes all shape up and? Uh, oh, see- I'm sure I'm I'm horrible at guessing this kind of stuff, so I'm sure I'm way off. Oh no, I, I you know if Joshua Williamson ends up on a DC book, I'm going to say Shane. God damn it, you were right. Uh, well, he he's over. He's pretty tied at Marvel right now. I don't think he's an exclusive, but I don't know. I would be shocked. So we'll come back end of March, uh, right after uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, and uh, we'll get, we'll be able to talk all about these creative teams. We'll be in a real DC state of mind. Before we get into the second half of our show, I just wanted to remind everybody that if you like the podcast, you can support it in a couple of ways. The first thing doesn't cost you anything but your time. All we ask you to do is check us out on iTunes and give us a review and a star rating. Let us know what you think. It really promotes the show and helps get the word out about Geek Rex. The other thing you can do is use our Amazon portal, which also actually doesn't really cost you anything. Anytime you shop on Amazon, if you get to Amazon using the Geek Rex link on our homepage, a fraction of what you pay for will go to helping us. It doesn't cost you anything extra and it helps us out a great deal. You can even make the link your bookmark to Amazon and then you don't even have to think about it. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back to the show. So the other thing we wanted to kind of briefly talk about uh, before we finish this week off is uh, related to DC, but kind of on on the outside is uh, Vertigo. So back, actually, 11 episodes back, I think, um, 104, we talked about the Vertigo relaunch that got announced at Comic-Con last year. And I think although we were kind of, uh, you know, excited, cautiously excited about a few of the books, I think our general consensus was that we thought it was going to be a big old failure um, uh, for for a lot of reasons. But, you know, I, I was thinking about it yesterday and uh, as I was reading my comics from last week and I was had two Vertigo comics in my stack and I, I realized that 
at least for my money, I think it's been a, a relative success. I don't, I don't know about the financials necessarily. I don't, I don't follow that super closely. But um, I think critically, there's been a, a good chunk of these books have made kind of an impact. So I, I guess first, just to just to start off, uh, what what Vertigo books are you guys, what did you start reading and what, what are you still reading? I think I gave almost all of them a shot. A lot of them I I liked but did not stick with, not because I thought they were bad, but because I think a lot of them to me read as being much more suited to the trades. Something like uh, Lauren Buke's new book, uh, Survivor's Club, I read the first couple issues of and I was like, okay, there's some intriguing stuff here, but none of it's hanging together. And I felt the same way about um, Clean Room. Uh, which was uh, uh, Gail Simone and uh, John Davis Hunt's uh, horror book that I thought was, had some really cool ideas, but that was moving so slowly I just decided to wait for trade. The book that really has blown me away, honestly, has been Sheriff of Babylon, uh, which I think we predicted. Like, Art Ops is uh, cool. Uh, Clean Room is uh, pretty solid. Red Thorn was a, a a pleasant surprise, at least in the first couple issues, but uh, Sheriff of Babylon's where it's at for me. I read Twilight Children initially. That was sort of the first one I picked up, and uh, I knew I would also pull Sheriff of Babylon right away. But Twilight Children attra- attracts me instantly because I think I've read probably every Los Bros Hernandez book out there. I've, I've, read, I've definitely read all of Jaime's books, but I've probably read about 90% of Gilbert's. And so uh, that plus, you know, some interest in Darwin Cook, not that much, but at least like fully colored Darwin Cook, uh, you know, attracts me a little bit. So I picked that up and I enjoyed Twilight Children a lot. It was kind of a, you know, a comics code version of a Gilbert Hernandez story. Certainly a whole lot less sex and, uh, you know, giant breasts. But (laughs) the... the actual like story was was compelling enough in like sort of a Twin Peaks kind of way. I also really like Sheriff of Babylon a lot, as uh, we spoke about on the Rexy's podcast. But you know, it's it's an interesting Iraqi style noir uh, with really really great art by Mitch Garrods. I like as a book. It's sort of politically in the middle, and I don't really know what Tom King's politics are like, but I do know what Mitch Garrod's are to an extent. And I, I kind of like that it's sort of this, it doesn't really make a judgment about the war itself other than like the other than war is hell. And I, I don't know, there's just something very welcoming about that book. It's also just really, really interesting and well told. And Tom King's formalism is well on display there. I tried art ops for two issues. Uh, the first issue was okay. I didn't love the, I didn't actually love the writing, um, but Michael Allred's art is always a draw. Uh, by the second issue, Mike Allred was starting to already back away as the regular artist and was more of the architect of the art. And so I, when they brought in the guest artist, I just lost a lot of interest. So I, I dropped out after issue two. And um, I have in my stack next to me four issues of Unfollow by Rob Williams and uh, whoever the artist is, Mike Dowling, I think. And I read one of them and uh, I thought it was okay. Um, but, you know, much like I think, much like I think with Martian Manhunter, you know, it's an interesting idea that's executed maybe a little blandly, um, and that is sort of like kept me away from it. But yeah, you know, Twilight Children, Sheriff of Babylon, big winners. 
and surprisingly, the two uh, biggest sellers of the new bunch, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, Twilight Children, my, my comic shop didn't even get Twi- Twilight Children because they said uh, um, Cook and Hernandez simply don't sell in our town. But look, looking at the sales charts, like those are those are the two that those are the two that are not um, are not already tanking pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hernandez is 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 niche. I mean, he's very niche. It's 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 a it's a slim interest, but uh, unfortunately, but uh, Darwin Cook is always a big seller. I mean, it's 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 probably IDW's biggest book whenever one of those uh, Parker books comes out. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised that that would be the number one seller for like the the regular comic store guys. And I guess you know, there's just uh, Sheriff of Babylon is just a word of mouth thing, maybe, uh, or maybe people are catching on to how great Tom. King is. Yeah, I think Sheriff of Babylon, I, I think, is a partially a Tom King thing. I think his fans are, have been following him to that. But also, I do think it is, a, a, I guess it's a word of mouth thing. I don't know how else it's getting around, but that's the one I certainly hear the most about. And yeah, yeah. so I mean, I, I, I read 85, 90% of the, the number ones. There were only maybe two or three that I didn't read. And it's kind of funny because I kind of flip-flopped a little bit in that I, I expected, I, I kind of knew I'd like Sheriff of Babylon, which it is really fantastic um it's well I'll, I'll get to it but um and the other one i expected to like was art ops which i really strongly do not like i read two i, I read two issues because of mike Allred, and I, I you know he's probably my favorite artist and i, I just i don't know i didn't click with me at all i really wasn't enjoying it but the two that have really kind of shocked and surprised me as books that i never would have expected to like are um clean room and unfollow i think are both really phenomenal I think what's kind of interesting about this whole relaunch actually is that as different as these books all seem um, and as weird as some of the concepts seem when they first got announced, they all really feel like Vertigo books in a lot of ways, um, kind of in a classic Vertigo sort of way. Um, you know, in, in one way in the sense that they're not really tied to a certain genre, which I think is really makes them really interesting. I mean, as much of the image stuff that I really enjoy um, is really tied to you know sci-fi in particular. Mo- a lot of them are, but like for example, Clean Room is it's a horror book for sure, but it's also this kind of weird, uh, weird drama that's following you know a, a, a ensemble of characters where you get a lot of perspectives. It's you know it's a kind of a hard to pin down book, and you know we're we're I think five issues in, and I can give you the gist of what it's about, but I'm. I'm super hooked, but I don't exactly know where it's going, and that's kind of exciting. And Unfollows, on the other side of that, is that a book that I know exactly where it's going, you know, in that it's this whole kind of, um, I guess, kind of Hunger Games, but, you know, this whole idea where there's a pot of money between split between 140 people, and the less people there are, the more money each person gets. Um, so in that sense, it's got kind of a battle royale thing going on. But there, there's so many characters and so many kind of crazy ideas thrown in the mix that I like I wouldn't have the slightest clue how to describe how to put that book into a category and, and they, they feel these a lot of these feel like books that could run for you know 30 40 issues in classic vertigo fashion which I think is the the thing that vertigo really needed I mean I think like we discussed um you know we, we all kind of knew twilight children would be a big hit but that's what four or six issues you know is a is a mini we knew that from the start and, you know, I think in 
traditionally the stuff that's really made Vertigo stand out are these kind of long-running 50 or 100-issue series. And I, I don't know, I, I doubt that any of these will make it quite that far, but I think there's they've captured kind of the feeling of that in a lot of cases. Just a lot of interesting books across the board. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess the the real question is, what does Vertigo do if they don't sell well? Yeah. Which is kind of where they're at right now. I mean, Unfollow... Well, if it it got it already got option for a television series, I think, hmm. um, which kind of like got me curious to like go pick it up. But I still don't know anyone that's actually reading the damn thing other than us um, and a couple of other friends, maybe. Um, and yeah, there there are recent rumors now that Vertigo to sort of combat this issue that they've had with this this sort of relative failure, quote unquote, of this relaunch. Uh, despite being, you know, pretty well received creatively, is that now they're going to try and go back to the Sandman well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the last rumor I saw, which may or may not be true, is that they were trying to get Shelley Bond to work with Neil Gaiman to produce new Sandman-based concepts that he wouldn't write, but he would, like, create for others to write, and he mm-hmm. would sort of help oversee and that would sort of be Vertigo's like last gasp effort at trying to, you know, regain some dominance and not be the dying empire that it is right now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's such a monumental mistake for them. I mean, and maybe it'll work. I mean, you know, like I'm I'm a fucking idiot half the time, who knows. Um but uh to me, I think Part of the issue that they that I think uh, I ran into with this was um, you give me a four issue uh, uh, Gilbert Hernandez Darwin Cook you know full color miniseries I'm gonna buy a trade of that uh, or I'm gonna preferably I'm gonna buy a real nice looking hardcover of that mm, um, I'm not gonna buy a single issues of it you give me a you know, five issue, you know, whatever. I think launching with so many miniseries probably hurt them a little bit. And I think they launched too many books all at once. But I think they were on the right track. You know, I mean, you can see from the fact that Twilight Children was a legitimate success. And Sheriff of Babylon, while not a big success, you know, at selling at about like 7,500 or so, you know that's not a big success, obviously. Um, but I, I, I think the fact that that is uh, that is a book that has a lot of buzz, that has an up and coming creative team, that has you know all the stuff going on around it. Honestly, as much as it would have sucked, I, I almost feel like Vertigo. If they want to, if they want to take one more stab at this, I say do three books, uh, open ended. With um, and try and get some just killer creative teams, uh, and just let them do whatever they want. Uh, because I, I actually agree, Harper. The thing that intrigues me most about Clean Room, um, for example, is that Clean Room, unlike unlike a lot of these, doesn't feel like it's unlike a lot of image books, especially Clean Room doesn't feel like a TV pitch to me. Right, right. right. Clean Room is legitimately weird. Uh, in some ways, and I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about it. And as I said, I'm still waiting for a trade anyway. But like, I think that's the kind of thing. Uh, like, I do think that you know, I mean, Vertigo kind of shot themselves in the foot. You know, kind of swamped the market, um, which is DC's kind of uh, 
house brand, I guess, you know, like, oh, let's release 52 new books in a month. Right, um, right. But yeah, it just, it just felt like too much. Uh, and uh, with too much, with too little to uh, differentiate it or um, really pitch me on it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think in, in most of these cases, I think they maybe got the right concepts and they they got the right kind of spread of tones. I mean, I mean, looking at something like Clean Room compared to Twilight Children compared to New Romancer are completely different tones, but all 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 things that I feel like kind of fit in the Vertigo milieu um, historically. But yeah, I think maybe it was an, a, a, a misstep to put them all out at once. I mean, maybe you know they maybe could have started with you know. A really strong book paired with maybe a more kind of under the radar thing, and then you know a couple months later down the next you know big book, you know maybe Sheriff of Babylon with uh, you know Unfollow or something. But yeah, maybe putting them all out at once just kind of I don't know flooded it. But I mean, on one hand, I see how how that that uh, marketing technique makes sense because I mean it got me to buy all or most of them. I think it, I mean I, I think it sounds like it was the case for most of us. Um, but how many we stuck with because there were so many might be an issue just in terms of budget even really. Um, and just like, you know, if there's going to be eight of these, well, you know, if this, you know, like for example, survivors club, the first issue was okay, but it didn't really grab me. So I dropped it, you know, and, and maybe if that had come out, you know, with one or two other vertigo books, I might've stuck with it for a little bit longer and, and seen where it went. But with eight book or uh, sorry, uh, 12 books, you know, in the span of just a couple months, you know, there wasn't that much spending room to go around, I guess. Well, I mean, and the thing is, some of them aren't good. I yeah. mean, I mean, let's 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 just be honest. New Romancer, no one cares. I thought the uh, first issue was really good. It's just not. It's not up my alley. But you're right. Nobody is talking about it, literally. Nobody, nobody. You know. You know. Peter Milligan. I mean, God bless him. It's it's you know. It's a time that's that's done right. And, I, and frankly, uh, if the new Lucifer book, no one's talking about no. that either. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that they pumped out into the market that just wasn't as strong a quality as it could be. There was like, there's like this huge gulf between the good stuff and like the not good stuff. And I, I just, I think for me, the idea of Vertigo survival rests on a couple of things. I think it's very difficult to imagine, uh, you know, creators who, can get a better deal at Image going to Vertigo, as we talked about right. during our Vertigo episode. And it still seems like that's a difficult thing to do if creators are willing to self-finance a lot of the cost uh, for what could eventually be ancillary media rights that they wouldn't get with Vertigo anymore. So if Jeff Lemire would rather go do Descender at Image... He's going to do that there. If Mike Fraction would rather do his next book at Image, he's going to do that there. It's why he left Icon, right? So... I think Vertigo, what they need to do is, you know, have some creator-owned books because their best books were that. But gosh, man, I still feel like we were talking about the fringes of superhero books in the previous segment. I miss a Vertigo Swamp Thing book. I miss a Vertigo Animal Man comic. I miss Doom Patrol under the Vertigo banner. And I and I wonder, you know, would it be beneficial to sort of have like these weird sort of takes on superheroes again? Uh, at the very least, you would get folks who are interested in superhero comics buying Vertigo comics again to sort of shift a lot of these characters that aren't going to get used anyway in Rebirth 
why don't you use them under the banner that would allow for a little bit more mature storytelling and maybe work towards that into the specialty market? Uh, maybe maybe that just sounds creatively like a clusterfuck, but I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if maybe an opportunity is being lost. I'm actually surprised that they didn't do that with Hellblazer. That seemed like a logical step for me. Yeah, but, I mean, that's that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking, you know. I mean, uh, and you can see that with, you know, them kind of shifting Astro City from D.C. back to Vertigo, mm-hmm. uh, where, to be frank, it belongs. But, yeah, I think that Vertigo's path forward, as you say, Kyle, like if they if they want to survive, it's a matter of using what they have. And they don't have the same you know, creator rights, uh, you know, benefits to offer that, um, uh, that image has. So what they have is they have access to DC characters. They have, you know, they, they have the DC machine, you know, they have the, the, the ability to push things to diamond and in marketing and all that with at no cost to the creators, so, yeah, I, I think that Vertigo needs to use what it has, you know? I mean, as much as I like some of the books, I agree they pushed out some kind of crappy books just to have a line, it sometimes seems. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would agree with that. I, I think maybe they don't take advantage enough of the obvious connection with DC and that, you know, there are these people who, like, the, these readers that we've been talking about this whole episode people who are you know maybe might come back for these number ones at dc and then quickly realize why they left in the first place you know if there's you know that that's a perfect place to grab somebody to say okay maybe you've grown out of this you know tights nonsense look at sheriff of babylon over here that's got some really interesting adult stuff going on or look at clean room if maybe you're looking you know uh, in in the back of hellblazer you know if if this take on constantine isn't really doing it for you and you're looking for something a little a little scarier, a little more adult, you know, maybe try clean room. You know, that's a connection that maybe they're not taking enough advantage of. And, and it's definitely, definitely saddens me to hear that, you know, that obviously, uh, you know, that this isn't doing so well, even though I think there's a, there's a handful of really promising books here. Um, but that they are thinking about going back to that Sandman. Well, yet again, it's like, you know, we get that that's what made them successful in the first place, but, you don't really see image going back to, uh, you know, um, young blood really anymore, you know, or like any of these kind of things that started with like, uh, maybe that's a stupid comparison, but you know what I mean? I, you, you'd think they could try and make do with these new, this new blood that they've got. And that's, that's Harper, kind of a shame. Harper, they still produce spawn. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> it still sells. Not badly. By really? the way. Yes, people still buy Spawn comics. Uh, um, that's shocking. And they, and they still sell Cyberforce. Yeah, I mean, they, they have. There are comics that uh, that that Image continues to pull from from their old heyday uh, because those guys are you know all owners of that company. So uh, you know, it's just the way it is. True, Good it's kind of funny. <laughs> So I guess uh, we ran kind of long on our, our first part, so I guess we'll kind of bring this uh, to a close. But any uh, any closing thoughts on on where you uh, where you hope Vertigo goes, or, or what you uh, what you're enjoying about them now? Um, keep hiring the Hernandez Bros, man. Uh, let's more, more mainstream work for them and more money for those guys, and uh, more Tom King books. 
Seriously, uh, one of their one of the one of my favorite things they did, you know, a few years ago when we were kind of in in peak, you know, the the the, the decline and fall of Vertigo was, um, you know, grab Harvey Picard, mm-hmm. um, you know, start start pulling it, you know, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, bring in some DC uh, DC stuff, but on the other hand. If you if you can find and poach some some indie some like true indie people, go for it. You know, I mean the Hernandez. There's I think there's a reason that Cook and Hernandez have the um, have you know the best selling Vertigo book this side of uh, Astro City. Um, uh, they have that recognition. They have a fan base. They have people who are excited by this. And as much as I like a lot of, you know, some of the new Vertigo books, I didn't see anyone get excited about really any of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point and maybe a good place to leave off is that, you know, they've got the chance to, to bring in some new people and, like you say, to, to grab up some people that are doing some stuff on the kind of the fringes of indie comics and really kind of give them a chance to do something that's on the on the far outskirts but you know within the realm of mainstream comics um to uh to bring them in and give them a chance to do something and and i think vertigo is a place that that allows for publishing of books that we wouldn't really see anywhere else necessarily i mean obviously image can publish some of these books could be at home just as at home at image but i feel like a lot of them are, are good fits for vertigo so it's a it's a definitely a niche that uh, I would like to see refilled again in a, in a real way. So uh, here's to hoping. I guess this is something that maybe, uh, you know, when when they announce another wave, if they are going to do another wave, uh, maybe we'll, we'll revisit. So I guess that's it for this week. I, th- I think we'll be back next week, uh, likely with our, uh, our third movie club episode. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, for those who want to follow along, we are going to be watching uh, I'm Not There, the uh, Bob Dylan movie directed by... Um, uh, what's his name? I keep forgetting. Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so check that out and uh, give it a watch before you listen to the next episode. And we will uh, see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.